0: This week's podcast is brought to you by the Let's Run.com shoe site. Go to Let's Run.com shoes, and you can get the best shoe reviews and the best prices. If you don't need to buy shoes right now, you can read the reviews. If you do want to buy shoes, you can find the best prices. It's a win-win either way. It's kind of like the Yelp for shoes. Go to Let's Run.com slash shoes. And if you're new to the podcast, it's a weekly show where we have three Let's Run.com staffers just shooting the shit, talking track and field. And... It, Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can reach us directly by calling on the phone. Pick up the phone and call us. 844-LET'S-RUN. That's 844-538-7786. Hit extension 7, and you'll go straight to the voicemail. Thank you.
1: Welcome, everyone. The Olympic Marathon window has closed. The Houston Half Marathon is in the books. The professional indoor track and field season is here with the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, And the Dr. Sander invite, where Mary Kane will take on Caitlin Tui. We've done it again. Two weeks in a row, we've got a very fast podcast guest joining us. Joss Methner, the high school footlocker national champion, is our guest today.
0: And perhaps one last final run for the Vaporflies at the Dubai Marathon, folks. Dubai's this weekend. We know the vaporflies aren't yet.
2: Yeah, Thursday night, actually, to be more precise. So if you guys, depending on when you're listening to this, it might already have happened. Uh, But Yeah, that's Thursday night, some primetime marathoning in the United States, at least. I think we should start, though, with Houston. This is Jonathan Galt, by the way. I'll introduce myself. Weldon Johnson was the first voice you heard. Robert Johnson, he would call himself our fearless leader. I don't really know how fearless he is, but the, what, the holy spirit of of com. So, we're here to talk running, as we do every week, in Houston. So I guess the, my takeaway... So we had some fast, pretty fast racing up front. Jamal Yimura of Ethiopia won the men's race in 59.25. He was only three seconds off the course record. And then Hitomi Nia of Japan, 66.38, to crush the Japanese record. And she ran that thing essentially from the gun. Just took off, ran by... Well, she was the only woman with her group there was a huge pack of men that she was sort of surrounded by for a lot and then just ran away. But that was really a surprising result and pretty awesome for a woman who went almost five years between racing. We'll get to her in a minute, but well, you posed this question on the message board. And I think it's the most fascinating one to me after the race. There were 14 Americans under 62 minutes. Do we view this? Was this some massive accomplishment or are we setting the bar too low when it comes to breaking 62 minutes in the half, which isn't even that close to world record pace anymore?
1: It's crazy. I mean, I I was looking at the Houston results, and I saw these American men under 62 minutes. I mean, first, of course, I look up top. Uh, I mean, we didn't have a single American in the top 10, right?
2: No, we had, uh,
1: let
0: me see, men's results. Yeah, Jared Ward was 11th, but let me correct you guys. I'm Mr. Woke here. It's been a little bit of pushback the male dominated yes yet again john sexism comes out no mention of these six women u.s women under 70 minutes
2: i didn't i don't need to mention it immediately robert we'll get there but thank you for bringing it up and making our listeners aware of that fact but the question i posed to weldon concerned the men i'm gonna give him a chance to answer it i'm just trying to well as i said
1: not a single man in the top 10 and then we're saying oh what a great performance and so i think one, there's a couple things to factor in. 62 minutes in the half marathon isn't what it used to be. I mean, the, the world mar- record in the marathon now is 201.39. So I think we sort of adju- adjust what we view as a really good time. The depth is still unprecedented. But, uh, I mean, do we get into it three minutes in? But with the shoes, just it's going to make a difference. I think it makes more of a difference in the marathon, actually. But what we consider a really fast time i think is it should shift over time and it really hasn't so but the one caveat is every single man pretty much or 90% of them in Houston running the half through are american are running the olympic marathon trials next month so you don't need to be in half marathon shape so i think a lot of guys running 61 minutes in Houston in a half while they're deep in marathon training is very encouraging with that perspective We've got a lot to look forward to in Atlanta. It's going to be tremendous. But if we're just going to evaluate a a bunch of Americans running 61-something in the half marathon, I think as Americans we need to shift our sights a little bit higher and start shooting for the sub-60s.
2: Yeah, I I think – well, sub-60s, that's tough. you still got to be pretty darn fast even with the shoes to do that. But I I think the point about everyone being – almost everyone being deep into marathon training – is a good one, well, and that's sort of what I was encouraged by with someone like Jared Ward. Like Jared Ward, you would think he should beat all these Americans in the half, and even though he's you know thick into training, he's not. He still comes out. He runs a PR of sixty one thirty six, finishes the t- as the top American, sort of with an asterisk, which we'll get to in a second. Um, that was what was encouraging to me. It's like these guys, most of them are looking at the trials, and yet they're still running, you know, sixty one thirty. 6130s or 6140s for a lot of these guys. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think that's a good sign. It's interesting, though, Jared Ward. So, yeah, he was top American. If you look at the overall results at 6136, and you had Nico Montanez, who's also a fellow BYU alum, at 6138, Reed Fisher sandwiching them in between at 6137. But Montanez, that was his gun time, was 6138. If you look at his actual you know, net time from when he crossed the start line to when he crossed the finish line, it was sixty one thirty four, And that's because he didn't get into the elite field in Houston. So he had to start a little bit further back. It was I, took, I think it took him four seconds to cross the line. So his time was actually faster than Jared Ward's, but he crossed the line after Jared Ward because Jared Ward started about four seconds in front. So Houston, kudos to them. They paid out top American prize money to both of those guys. But I think that would have been the surprise to me. And it... Nico Montañez is essential, you know, call it beating. I wouldn't call it beating because it's still go by gun time. Ward cross the line first, but that was pretty, pretty great performance by that guy who's training out with uh, Andrew Castor in Mammoth Lakes.
0: Let me jump in here. Be honest. Had Either one of you ever heard of Nico Montañez before?
2: Yes. He was like ninth at NCAA cross in 2016 for BYU.
0: Good call. But it, it, I, I think he was ninth. I think he was actually 10th. Maybe you're right, John.
2: Um, gotta look that up now
0: <laughs> it's kind of amazing in the sense of how top heavy the focus is like you know when sort of we as journalists are focusing on the individual stuff you know at NCAA Cross there's 200 and something athletes but if you're not really in the top five you're not getting a lot of individual publicity you know what I'm saying
2: he was ninth just just to confirm
1: that John is always right yeah I'll admit Robert when I saw the results I was like Nico who? what? I, I just was kind of shocked. And then John's like, well, he was top 10 at NCA Cross. And one, I think it does show the testament to the depth in American running right now. But a, a, a lot of guys who are 10th at NCA Cross don't really have much of a professional career. Even Houston, like they didn't think much of him. But I think it is a testament to Nico. I mean, clearly there's people who think highly of him. Andrew Castor signs him to the... Group in California. So he's obviously making trying to make a go of it as a professional. He's got his sights set high. And it's kind of crazy, though, that he can't even get in the elite field. That just shows how many guys are going to Houston to try to run fast.
0: This is idiotic. You can't get in the elite field in your top 10 in NCAA cross country. Do you know how good that is? Top 10 in NCAA cross, he's probably, what, second or third American in that race, John?
2: You've got it in front of you. I mean... Well, I didn't pull it. I don't have it there anymore, but that was like three or four years ago. I mean, he's... Look, he's run... His PRs before this race were sixty four twenty nine and a half. and a half. That was at altitude, and... 214 in the marathon and i don't know you never know when someone like this is going to pop off yes this person should be in the elite start that's good enough to i don't know why he wasn't but
0: 214 in the marathon he's not in the elite start of a half marathon in houston give me a break anyways
2: but let we didn't know you can't just predict it's coming there's so many people with like pr similar to that who who knows who's gonna pop off for a big one
1: and so now are they like coordinating off the elite field because taking four seconds to get to the start seems like a lot. They must hold everybody else back a bit because it seems like even if you're not in the elite field, if you just if they just line up one row of guys, I mean, how many guys are there? Or two rows of guys, it shouldn't take you four seconds to get this to the start. This happens
2: at road races. They'll have the elite start, and then you'll have maybe like 25 meters back or something, or 20 meters back. You'll have everyone else, and it'll just take them a little longer to get to the finish lo- the start line. And usually they don't count that against you in your net time, but they do in the gun time, which is unfortunate for Nico in this case. But, like, Nico, I'd actually heard of him. Like, I'm looking at some of the other people in these results. Willie Millam. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. 6146. Colin Mikow, 6147. Harvey Nelson, 6148. I'd never heard of any of those guys. I follow this sport pretty intently, and I didn't know who any of those guys... Maybe I'd seen Colin Mikow's name in the result somewhere. Those other two had never heard of them, and they just ran, you know, 6146. They They're about 10 seconds off Jared Ward in Houston. So pretty staggering depth out there on Sunday but John
0: doesn't mean you don't love them congrats guys good run I actually was googling some of them one of them is in a fascinating track club I don't have it in front of me I think it was Milan. but there's all sorts of smaller track clubs that don't get any publicity so it's good to see guys still living the dream out there but you know Weldon well, i we'll ask how impressive are these performances. And again, it gets back to the Vaporflies and the new shoe technology, whether they're actually wearing the Vaporflies or not. Adidas, Everyone
2: take a drink now. This is our first Vaporfly mention of the week. You know,
0: John, John had put the pictures up, I think, on Twitter. Adidas had a new prototype, which is even bigger than the Vaporfly out there. And, you know, it, it's changed significantly. I mean, I think it's worth several minutes in the overall marathon on average i'd say about two minutes and and so probably at least a minute and a half marathon and to me it's not about the weldon's comparing it to the world record time i'm looking more about the place top american man was not in the top 10 top american woman sarah hall was only ninth so there's just tons of, of foreign athletes even jake robertson you know um Crushed all these American men. Admittedly, he is, he is pretty damn good. But, you know, when we're talking about n- n- non-African runners, um, Steph 12 beat Sarah Hall of Great Britain. So, you know, a 60, Walden said a 61-minute in the year 2020 is not what it was a long time ago. I mean, think back in the day, folks. Nineteen. I think it was 1998. Todd Williams ran 60-11. Now, that was on a, a Tokyo course. But the world record at the time was two hundred six fifty. He was significantly faster. He was like three minutes faster than what the world record was pace, you know. And it was kind of interesting, you know. Um, you know, back then I, I think the half marathon world record in nineteen ninety eight. Um, excuse me, it was nineteen ninety three. That was actually the first year it went sixty from sixty twenty four to six fifty nine forty seven that year. So the difference between the half marathon and the marathon world record was over six minutes, you know, double that and, and add six minutes. Now if it's what, 58 something, John? So you add it, it's... 5801. So you you, you go to 156 and, and you're adding about five minutes. You're not adding quite, there's not quite as big a discrepancy. But, you know, 1993, Todd Williams was running 60 minutes low. I know it wasn't a record eligible course, but people were running significantly faster than what record pace, Americans. And here's my stat of the week. I went back and looked at let's look at two thousand sixteen guys before we get too carried away with oh these guys are in six six shape they're gonna crush it at the trials. 19, 2016. two thousand sixteen. Let's look at the half marathon US Times. Luke Pescedra. guess what he ran in Houston. Not in the vapor Sixty-one
2: fifteen.
0: Yep. Sixty-one twenty-nine. Sam 61 sixty-one forty-three in New York. Um b Biwot, sixty-one fifty-five. Now, admittedly, there was only four guys in the entire year who broke sixty-two minutes on the entire year. But I'm saying, you know, I mean, scheduled did get fourth in the trials, but a sixty-one twenty-nine four years ago, without the shoe technology, yes, I'm looking at that and thinking that's really good because that would, but th- that would be more to the equivalent of running like a 6230 now. So, I mean, excuse me, they'd be more like running a sixty thirty right now. I mean, do all these unsponsored
1: guys, these guys I've never heard of, who John mentioned after Nico Montanez. We should probably do a brief thing on all of them.
2: All of them, Well, then, There's like 14 of them.
1: Who went sub-62? 14 That's guys kind of ran sub-62.
2: Sorry, we don't, the podcast isn't long enough to talk about all of them. Congrats to anyone who did that. but
1: Not on the podcast, but I'm just saying, like, do you think the 13th guy, I mean, things go slightly differently. They're ahead of Jared Ward everyone's putting Jared Ward as a big contender for the team, obviously, one of the favorites. Do you think some of these other guys have a shot in the marathon? Absolutely now?
2: not. Absolutely not. I think this was a good good race for them in the half. The marathon is a different thing. Jared Ward is a proven, consistent marathoner. He's run 209. None of these other guys have even sniffed that. I think you know being able to compete against someone in a 2 up half marathon and actually beating them in a trial-style race is a huge thing. I don't think... My prediction for the Olympic trials, none of these guys finish within a minute of uh, Jared Ward at the Olympic trials marathon.
1: But a minute, I mean, if there's 10 guys within Jared Ward within a minute, this will be the best Olympic trials ever. So I'm, just, I'm saying none of them, none of them. Even two minutes makes it way more interesting, right? Because I think in the trials in the past, you would say there's you know, five or six contenders. Everyone fades off by mile 16, and we got a few guys battling it out. I just wonder if some of these unsponsored guys... If they're in these shoes and some of the other guys aren't, it, it might make things just even a little more interesting or a little more crazy.
2: Well, I think what it does is these guys will have, some of them will have the confidence now. that They're going to be like, hey, I hung with Jared Ward in Houston. You know, I almost beat him. Why shouldn't I be up there? And if it's tactical, especially, they're just going to be up there. They're going to be like, I'll hang with him. I'll make every move. I think Jared Ward's probably going to be stronger in the end. But they, they got to think they're going to be able to hang with him for the first half at least.
0: Okay, let me, let me step in here. First of all, John was going absolutely not. That's too too strong of words. I mean, do I think that these guys are going to beat Jerry Ward? No. But first of all, it's not like these guys are on – most of these names are, are pretty – you know, Reed Fisher, Futsum Zianasi, Roy Linklater, Reed Buchanan. These aren't exactly no names. I mean these are guys that, you know
2: – What have they ever done in the mar- – what have any of them ever done in the marathon, Robert?
0: Well, correct. They don't have anything close to the credentials of Ward. And, and so I'm more confident that Ward is actually in the midst of marathon training. He's not peaking for this race. Yes, I'm going with Ward over all these guys by by a big shot. Um,
2: that's exactly what I said. I'm not trying to diminish these guys. I'm saying that the guy who got sixth in the Olympics, who's been one of America's best, most consistent marathoners of this Olympic cycle, is going to crush guys who aren't proven in the marathon. I don't think that's a hot take. Okay,
0: and back to my guy Willie Millam, who I did look up. Yes, Roots, the Roots Running Project, which I didn't even know exists. I think it's in.
2: I've heard that's in Boulder. That's Richard Hansen's group. I've heard of that group. Good, good.
0: So, you know, you're like, oh, who's this guy? Willie Milan. He's got actually a nice bio. He went to Gonzaga five years there. He started running in middle school. He didn't like it because he was too nervous before races and he didn't think it was fun. Got back into it. Um, Got canned from a job as a financial analyst after coming back from a race. Thankfully, his boss was afraid to tell him before the big race. It's pretty interesting. Anyways, I'm like, well, what did he do at Gonzaga? I'm like, how come, you know, no one's ever heard of this guy? Well... His, his 5,000 PR 1353 10,000 PR 2949 but he did run a 401 mile so he's got pretty good speed you know I mean th- th- these are that's a talent imagine a guy that's running you know what I'm saying I mean
2: <laughs> I
0: mean I guess obviously if they're running 61 minutes that marathon they're talented
2: I'm not trying to say they're not talented but how there's like what 30 guys run 401 in the mile in college every year in the United States it's not like he's exceptionally talented No.
0: what's his marathon PB He ran 214.54 in Chicago this year, and it looks like it was his debut. Oh, actually, no, he ran 220 in in Twin Cities in June and then 214. So, got it right the second time.
1: Before we turn to the women, I'm surprised Robert hasn't said anything. But one of the sub-62-minute guys, Sam Chilinga, 6152. Was it last week's podcast? John was poo-pooing Sam doing a no chance at the trials. He has
2: no chance at the trials. This proves it. See, he he was, well then, he was the 12th American in this race. And the half marathon is much stronger distance for him than the marathon. He has no chance to make the Olympic team. I like Sam. I, th- I think it's cool. He's come back. Basically, he, I saw his interview with flow after the race. He was talking to them. He's like, yeah, I, I decided to get back into running. He's been training essentially since November. He's not going to make the Olympic trials, the Olympic team, off of a three-month build-up. It's not going to happen. First of all, John,
0: his odds, of me, you said no chance. His odds certainly higher, well, you admit this. His odds of making this Olympic team are certainly higher than Gwen Juggardson's were of winning the Olympic gold medal. <laughs> God.
2: I, mm, yes. But very, this is like 0002 percent versus point oh oh no. three. John, 1%. there's two
0: ways to think about this. John, he
2: just started. He, in November. he will not make this team. There is no circumstance in which he makes this team.
0: Okay, but I'm much. Okay, John, there's two ways to think about this. One, he's just started training, so you think his fitness is going to get even better in the next and in the, in the final six weeks. <laughs> he or, just started training in two,
2: November. He's not going to make the or, team in February.
0: You could say too that he's probably not going to hold up over a marathon for over a few months training. Sam. If you make it, I'll love it because it'll just prove talent doesn't go away. He's never proven himself at the marathon is the thing that's a little concerning here. But it would be a great story. Plus, we can have our dream of all Kenyan-born Americans taking all of the distance spots to prove sports gene the book.
1: Robert doesn't know anything about genetics, but... I think people – what, Robert? There's a lot of cultural things and whatnot. So to say it's about genes is sort of crazy. Like uh, there's a whole thing going on now in genetic debate that we don't let kids discuss genes and genetics in high school. And so you equate cultural things with genetics. So – I understand the point you're making, but you're probably pissing off a lot well, of people because one, they don't like you referring to, to and American for whatever. They, they
0: should get mad at me because, yeah, my, it's all genetics. Yet yeah, I have the identical genes as Welton Johnson, the identical culture as Welton Johnson, couldn't come within <laughs> two minutes of him, in 10K, and seven minutes of him in the marathon. So,
2: yeah. Congrats, Robert! You just played yourself. All right, let's talk about the men, the women. Um, we spent a long time on the men, women's race. I want to start with this. Is it time? Are you worried at all about Molly Huddle? She finished as the second American in this race. She lost to Sarah Hall by thirty-six seconds. So Molly ran sixty-nine thirty-four. Sarah Hall ran sixty-eight thirty-sixty-eight fifty-eight. Uh, as a PR for Sarah Hall, but with this caveat that Molly Huddle essentially admitted she wasn't going all out. She was like, "Intense. She was trying to hit 5:20 per mile. She was trying to hold herself back because, you know, she didn't want to set back her training too much, have to take time to recover. I'm not particularly worried about her result in Houston. I wasn't expecting some crazy performance, that's fine from her. My bigger concern is she said she's been dealing with hip and ankle injuries in training and she's not she's not at Emily Sisson's level in training yet. She says she wants to work out with Emily Sisson for the end of the trials build up, but she needs to get at her level. That to me is the more concerning issue, not her result on Sunday.
0: Okay, John, I didn't read that quote about the hip injury. I saw in the show notes, you were saying, are we concerned about Molly Huddle? No, I was not concerned when I saw that she was holding back. I, I, I did read a post-race quote from her, I think in women's running or somewhere where she said that, you know, I don't think I went over threshold until the last 400 meters of the race. So I'm like, okay, she's not going over threshold. She could easily run, beat Sarah Hall, you know. Um, and then I think it's a good sign for Sarah Hall because she did so badly in New York. But I don't have any confidence in Sarah Hall and Hilly Course. She did not run well in New York. But I did read – I was actually encouraged by Sarah Hall because she said she's been training on really Hilly Courses. So – but holding back, that made me feel pretty good about Hall. But then – when you're saying – Huddle, you mean. Excuse me, Huddle. But when you're saying that she's openly admitting like she's not as good as Sisson right now, that means I think Sisson beats her in these trials. So that's one spot right there.
2: Mm-hmm. Deslin
0: is pretty damn consistent.
2: Jordan Issei. Jordan Issey. I take Jordan Issey at her best over Molly Huddle in the marathon.
0: Yes. But I, I, I actually think this was a good result for, for Huddle in the sense of – if she's holding back and is basically better than or just as good as, as Sarah Hall, that's that's pretty encouraging.
1: How do we know Sam Chilinga wasn't holding back? Anyway, uh, we it's kind of funny that how we put so much emphasis on the, the place where somebody finished by a few seconds. And John will write off a guy who is 16 seconds behind being first American on three months of training.
2: He was behind, what, 11 other Americans. <laughs> like, but sorry. 16
1: seconds and a half marathon is nothing. Huddle here is further behind than Chillinga was, the first American. So maybe we should be really worried. In general, I'm kind of worried about Huddle. I don't think the marathon's her best event. She's not proven in the marathon. So, But I think now the women's Olympic team is a little bit easier. Not easier, but it was than we thought it possibly could have been a few years ago, right? Shalane Flanagan, not in the field. Jordan Hesse, possibly injured. Now I guess if Jordan shows up 100%, it's, this team is very tough to beat. Oh, Amy Craig, what's up with her, right? When all of these people we knew were on, this field was so difficult to make. Now there's a question mark pretty much about everybody. I mean, maybe not Dez, but, you know, okay, Dez is getting older. So there's a little concern. I guess the least concern for me is Sarah Hall. She's just really bringing it. She backed up her performance in the fall with this.
2: Well, my concern is she's won one, like, really world-class marathon that you would think – Man, she's like anything she had done before Berlin last year, I would have said she doesn't really have a shot to make the US Olympic team in the marathon. And obviously, you run 222, you do, but how many other marathons has she run where you would say that performance would get her onto the Olympic team? None.
1: Right, and I'm not sure how she'll hold up on the hills and that sort of thing.
2: And she she also says she gets injured a lot because she pushes it a lot in training. If she's running on these hills and training a lot, and you have to, you know... She, she's a myth, and she's watched 36 years old as well, so that's, if she can get to the start line healthy, I think she has a great shot, but there are also a lot of other good women, and getting to the start line healthy is tough. Can
1: we talk a little bit about Hitomi Nia? Am I saying that correctly?
2: I, I hope so. I definitely want to talk to her, well, there's a, a talk about her, because her story is incredible. Here are a few things, I mean, check out Japan Running News, Brett Lahn's website, he's got Uh, A few great articles on her. She retired. She got in 2013. She got fifth at the Worlds in the 10,000 meters. And after that race, she was essentially, she was just distraught. She said, quote, I couldn't win a medal in a race that took absolutely everything I had. That disqualifies me from being a professional. And she had some plantar fasciitis issues and decided she would retire. She retired after that race. She goes away from the sport for about four years starts training again in 2017 returns almost five years after her last race she runs a 1535 5k on the track in june 2018 then after this race that race her quote again to Brett lana i still totally hate running but unfortunately it seems like this is where i belong i hope i can produce results she definitely produced a result on sunday she won the race in a blowout and I think part of it David Monty said this on Twitter some of the other elite women didn't even realize they weren't in the lead because Nia was just so far ahead from the gun that, and she was swallowed by a pack of men they had no idea that she was in the race but sixty six thirty eight. this is how impressive that time was not only did it smash the Japanese record which has stood since 2006 it was the fastest half marathon ever record eligible course by a woman born outside of Africa
1: was it subtle racism Were the African runners looking for someone a little bit darker up front? They didn't even realize it. I mean, right? I'm kind of half-joking, but the gun goes off. There's all these men around. You're kind of looking. You you just see this um, kind of short person in front of you. You don't think – I mean, you obviously should look for the car up there. I assume there's a truck with her or something, but it's it's kind of crazy that this could happen. But it it shows some of the differences that happen when – in the women's race, right, when they start with the men, because there can be men in front, and maybe you, you don't see all the women. So it's kind of crazy that that could have happened. But she she was, wasn't was going to lose this race, I don't think, either way. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Also how she felt like she had to quit after the Olympics.
2: World championships.
1: I mean, after the world championships, because essentially, like, she didn't medal. She's like, I'm done with running. It's just such a different mindset, but I feel like it's kind of very Japanese.
0: I love this story, but here's my question about her. Is she going to run a marathon in the next few months? Remember, while the Japanese trials—and and by the way, how great were those trials? Remember how great that, particularly, the, well, really the men's race at the trials was, absolutely phenomenal. Hopefully, Atlanta—one of our races—can be as good as that Japanese men's trials race. But remember, while they held their trials, only the top two people are guaranteed to go. Any woman that breaks two twenty-two twenty-two in at Fukuoka, which has already happened, Tokyo, or Lake Biwa. We'll make the Olympic team. If I was her, I would want to run the marathon at the Olympics. Why run the 10,000? Let's be honest. She's going to get destroyed in that race, the 10,000. I mean, we'll, we'll have the nice Japanese woman setting the pace for about 6K before she gets destroyed. So I, I would love to see her do the marathon. Um, she ran a couple marathons early in her career, it looks like, John. I think she was yeah. like 230 or something, 226. Nothing great. But that was before her track success, which is interesting.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. Find a marathon, go out there, and it's Sapporo, it's going to be hot, it's home soil. I mean, doesn't really get much better for a Japanese person than running the Olympic marathon on home soil, so that's what I would do if I were her. Another shout out to someone who took went away from the sport, Melindy Elmore, in the women's marathon in Houston. 2004 Olympian in the 1500 meters. She retired from the track in 2012. She started to do Ironmans. <laughs> And she she ran 8.57 for an Ironman. Uh, I don't know what that means, but it's one of the fastest Canadian times ever, so she's pretty good. And then she decided to come back last year. She makes her marathon debut at age 38, runs 2.32 in Houston. And then a year later in her second marathon, she runs 2.24.50, the national record for Canada, at age 39. And now she is almost certainly going to the Olympics in the marathon 16 years after she ran the 1500 back in Athens. That is some pretty impressive stuff.
0: It's amazing. The, the question I have is, I mean, obviously the shoes help, but was she just in the wrong event all along or I guess 224? I mean, how how does that compare? What is her 1500 meter PR like 404 or something like that?
2: 402.
0: Yeah. wonder which is better on the equivalency charts.
2: I think the bigger takeaway, she's just got fantastic range. They're both very, very good marks and, you know, 402 back when she ran that in 2004. So that's, it's, I would say that's more impressive than running 402 in 2000, 2020, you know? so.
0: John, here's a trivia question. I'm trying to stump you on your knowledge. Do you know? Who is she married to?
2: Graham Hood, Canadian Olympian, Used to run at Arkansas.
0: No, no.
1: John had no clue about that. I swear I told him that yesterday.
2: I I read it before you told me well then,
1: but...
0: But John, did you ever heard of Graham, Graham Hood?
2: I had. He's a Canadian okay. Olympian. I, yeah, I'd heard of Graham Hood. Folks,
0: so look for future Olympians. They have two children. They, they could be on the 2044 team along with the Dababa children. We still do not know. If anyone knows, if Ternesh Dababa's second child, which was born, I think, last week the week before. I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast. Turnish DeBaba has given birth to a second baby. The first baby was born in the U.S., so it is a U.S. citizen. I'm not sure, John. Have you contacted Mark Wetmore to find out?
2: I can try asking him this weekend at the New Balance meet. He's the one who runs that, so thank you. It's not urgent. News. No, it is urgent.
0: I'm now consulting on the side for the Las Vegas Las Vegas sports and they want to set the early 2044 Olympic chances betting. You know, they've got the Hood Elmore children on there.
2: What about what about your own son, Robert?
0: Well, he does like to run. Train him.
2: Train him like uh, what was the family? Uh, Todd, Marinovich? Todd man Marinovich. Marinovich. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: didn't have I didn't
2: have the, the guts to make my wife sleep in an altitude tent. Good for you, Robert. Good for you.
0: But can we go back one more time to, to the U.S. women here and this Houston thing? I, I've thought about it some more. Sisson's on the team. If she's way ahead of, 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 of Huddle right now, I mean, I, I was I, I called up John Kellogg about this after this race, and I said, look what does Huddle's time equate to? And he's like, well, my chart, it probably equates to a 228 marathon, but pros are better than my chart. His chart factors in amateur performances. He's like, the pros are better trained probably like 226 something. He's like, but if she's not going all out, she could already be in like, you know, 225, 224 shape. So Sisson is already ahead of her. She proved in London that she was made for the marathon, which is something that Ray Tracy, her coach has been telling me for years um, I was kind of disappointed in her track season just because she didn't beat Huddle in the 10,000. But it wasn't like she was terrible. She was 10th of worlds.
2: Huddle Huddle's the best, t- probably the best 10,000-meter runner this country's ever produced. So Yeah,
0: and w- w- when I compare Huddle to Sarah Hall, I know Sarah Hall is running well. I know that she's run 222.16. But, you know, let's look at S- Sisson. Her PR for the marathon is right in that range. Let me look that up.
2: 223.08, I think
0: to God John, you're good. Two twenty three oh eight. But look at the five thousand, the ten thousand. I mean, it's fifteen oh three to huddle for, for Sisson. I think it's like fifteen twenty for for Hall, and and then I mean the ten thousand is not even comparable. I know we're not running a ten thousand, but um Sarah Hall's PR is thirty two thirty five. I mean that, that that's crazy. Sisson's run thirty forty nine this year. So Sisson is twenty eight years of age. She's in the her prime years and oh I guess Hall's in her prime years at whatever age she is thirty six because she's running so well. But you got someone that just ran thirty forty nine. Her training partner says she's in great
2: shape. Like look, look system's on the team. Robert no Robert saying anyone is on the team is foolish. I think she's got a great chance. Makes me feel good about her chances. I would probably pick her if I had to pick the team today. But the field is too competitive. You're doing a disservice to the other women in this field to say she's on the team. She's run one marathon I think it's an insult to everyone else. I'm most
0: confident right now. Here are my picks. Most confident in order of confidence for the 2020 U.S. Olympic marathon team. Galen Rupp, one.
1: Emily Sisson, two. All right, more Houston. What do you guys think about Ascale Marachi and Kelkali Gzegin?
2: The men's and women's marathon winners. I think congratulations to uh, them. John, I'm,
1: I'm just saying with, this, with people throwing out racism and sexism everywhere, I just find it kind of we, – we haven't mentioned them. We're not going to mention them. Pretty much. but those No one the listening, cares. Like, let's move on. It's kind of crazy, right? So there was a name in the men's marathon results that I think people do care about. Teruku Bekele, 215.
2: I'm just impressed he's still running. I, I was kind of surprised he hadn't retired a few years ago. I'm just surprised a guy
1: like that comes to Houston to run. I figure he might get an appearance fee somewhere else. Maybe he got one there. Who knows?
0: Okay, Walden's going to talk about the seventh place finisher in the Houston Marathon, Teruku Bekele, which is pretty interesting to see him down there. Um, he got $2,000 for his performance, by the way, 65 or over $45,000 for the winner for the men in Houston, 65,000 for the women. But let's talk about the 21st place finisher in the men's race. Controversial finish. Let's run visitor Jake Krolik has been given a gun time of 219.00.14. Excuse me. A chip time, 219.00.14. Of course, according to, to according to the rules, you round up, that's two nineteen oh one. And so he you know, his his, his gun time was actually like two nineteen oh six. But they have been letting people in based on chip times. I mean a woman this year ran two nineteen forty five in Boston, but her gun time is two nineteen zero zero and they let her in. There's like actually like three or four women that have been over two nineteen on the gun times that have gotten in on the chip times. So he finishes, he his gun time his chip time is two nineteen oh one he goes home or goes to the airport or wherever. He gets an email from the Atlantic Track Club congratulating him on, on, on making the trials. He's not, apparently not even sure how they have his email. And then he, I guess, was actually trying to apply, though, for USATF. And he filed an appeal because he knew his gun time was over, his chip time was over. And USATF has written back saying, sorry, sir, you're not in the trials. So kind of interesting story. I've done the research. No woman with a gun, with a chip time over 219 has gotten in. Several with a gun time have, but 219 is 0.14. I kind of feel like I'm fine with him holding him out because his chip time was 219.01, assuming all the other chip times were actually rounded up as well. Was everybody rounding up? You know what I'm saying? Like you're supposed to. But since they sent him an email, if that was unsolicited, I don't know, man. We've already got so many people. Into the trials. Is one more going to really hurt us?
1: Yeah, actually, I spoke to Jake last night, Robert, and still kind of looking into a few things, but if they hadn't told him he was in, I think he would understand. And I think it is it will, would be worth looking into, just totally confirm that no woman with a, that their chip times weren't, point you know, two forty five oh oh point something. And if they don't let in, then I think he should be let in. But uh, just to get the email saying, you're in, your appeal was accepted because as far as he concerned, he thought his, his chip time was two forty five oh oh. If they never round up chip times, I think he would understand. But you just can't tell the guy that he got in. I mean, it's just terrible. And there's kind of some stuff going on out the look into. People are now pointing some stuff out in threads. And Jake was saying he heard that Ed Torres actually got into the trials back in the day. Ed's head of the committee that denied the appeal that ed actually got into an olympic trials on appeal which was hard for me to believe because ed was a pretty good 10k runner but i'm not sure if that's the case but there's just so many things going on here right that you're either the last guy in the trials or the first guy out and it's just the dream i mean this guy was was a grinder his best marathon i think coming in was 225 so man
0: but final numbers to be determined but marathonguide.com has the list Could be added by one or two more, I guess. But guess how many qualifiers we have for the women, for the men, and the
2: men, for the men, for both women. I'm going to say 510 men. I'll say 276.
0: Not bad, John. 512 for the women and 264 for the men.
2: Congrats to everyone who made it and well, get ready because the standards are going to be a lot harder in 2024. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the women's standard because, I mean, can you imagine if the discrepancy was the other way? Oh my
2: god! Oh my god! The outrage would be absurd.
1: The outrage would be ridiculous because essentially, like, let's say five hundred to seven hundred and fifty dollars at least in transportation for each person. So we got two hundred and fifty people times seven fifty at least. It's not. Five, there's a
0: cap on how much money you get for transportation. I think it's like four hundred dollars. But let's say five hundred dollars. Yeah, they're going to spend at least probably $400,000 in these athletes maybe more 500,000 yeah
1: so an extra uh, 200 that's an extra $125,000 for the women and we we've done articles on let's run you know showing that the trials have had very different prize money throughout the years men versus women it hasn't always been equal i mean the races are run as separate entities they just happen to be bid on and accepted by the same place but i think in terms of the qualifying standards in the chip time, gum times, if some exceptions were made for women like this, he needs to be in. If not, I think he'd understand.
0: But this is a perfect example of how it's not sexism because the standard was set for – it had to be set at the Olympic standard. Those were the rules at the time. The Olympic the Olympic standards when they announced the qualifyings were 219 and 245. That's why they did it. So just because something isn't equal doesn't mean it's unfair. So those of you that have been accusing Let's Run of being sexist – just because women are being bashed on there doesn't necessarily mean that it's being sexist. There's plenty of men that are being bashed as well. So, But, Ro- Robert, that's not a good argument. I, mean, I think they would say there's sexist material
1: on the forums, which, of course, there is. But if you want to argue there's b- bad material of all types on there, do we want to go there real quick, the Outside
0: Magazine? So last week, those of you that don't know, we, we didn't have it on the homepage, Outside Magazine wrote a piece – depending on where you saw it, it was either titled, Can Let's Run Change Its Ways or Does Let's Run Want to Change Its Ways, referring to the message board moderation. And I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of the article. Uh, basically, I, I talked to the, to, to the author, Fritz Huber, and he just sort of asked me open to questions. I, I didn't know really know what the article was going to be about. I mean, I knew it was kind of about this Leo O'Connor comments that, that had started in the fall, but I, I wasn't given specific questions to respond to. Um and my argument would be is, yes, Let's Run has a moderate, like most websites, moderating on the internet is hard. Let's Run has a moderation problem, like Facebook and Twitter. Unlike them, you can actually reach a real human being. If you have a problem with the post, you report the post. If that, if that doesn't take care of it, you can call, pick up the phone and call us within a matter of seconds. That doesn't happen for the big platforms. And it was amazing to me, I'm not saying that there aren't bad things that appear on there, but most of them get deleted. My main point would be this, all the comments that Leon O'Connor was complaining about on Twitter, guess what? They were deleted. And then he writes this several hundred word story on the problems of the message board, but not a single runner had a concrete example of a of a post that was sexist. There was no examples listed. Because why? All of them get deleted. Or most of them get deleted.
1: Well, yeah, they pick you apart saying they're most of them, but I, I think we should could do a better job of sort of explaining what we do in moderation. I looked into it. The average post, or I think the median post that's that's reported, is deleted in under like an hour and a half. We we never really actually actually pulled up that stat. That counts even nighttime. Like we don't have moderators in the UK or anything, and I think that's pretty good. And there's also we didn't tell anyone this. Because we kind of try to keep it secret. If a trivial number of people report a post. Is being offensive, it's automatically deleted, and then we could restore it. But like that never really happens, so we kind of figured if a handful of people report a post, it's automatically gone, and then if we're deleting everything else within an hour and a half of reading it, of it being reported, th- I would think that was pretty good. Or st- employee one point one is like, oh, this is great, you know. I'm like, well, maybe we can get it down to thirty minutes. We can get it down to fifteen minutes because I'm all for free discussion, but I, I think. An hour and a half is pretty good. It's probably better than Facebook and Twitter. I mean, stuff that can be up there for days. We always probably haven't always been at an hour and a half. I mean, over the holidays, maybe stuff could be longer. But like every single post right now on that's been reported to us has been reviewed. So not that there, are, that there aren't really offensive posts on there, but I kind of my take is it's, re, it's fans being fans. Some people are dicks. Some people are sexist. Some people can be racist. You delete that stuff. Keep going. Obviously, if, if you're a prominent athlete and someone says something about you, it, it hurts, right?
2: Yeah, and I think my take on it is there are always going to be assholes on the internet and because other sports, the discussion is spread out across more sites like baseball. There's so many websites on baseball you can go to talk baseball. You're going to have comments like this. Uh, well, I don't know how much how many sexist comments they are going to be because you don't really talk about professional women's baseball. But other sports, you're going to have you know, assholes saying mean stuff on the internet and it's all spread across multiple websites. And running, Let's Run's essentially the only outlet for people to talk about this stuff. And so you're going to get all of it. You're going to get the good. You're going to get the bad. We are working to try to decrease the bad because we want to elevate. We want to improve the level of discussion, but it's always going to be there. And I think the best job we can do is to try to eliminate it as much as we can.
1: One more thing. mean there are always going to be, differences of opinion on like what's acceptable and how much freedom of expression people want. And I'm always going to probably err on the side of a lot of expression. And with that, there can be downsides. Can we moderate stuff quicker? Yes. But there's just, there's going to be some things we just don't agree with. Right. Like, I mean, I think the quote from Sally Bergeson was like, it's living hell for women on there. And I'm just like living hell for women. Like, like let's, let's keep some perspective here on what this is about. You know, I got, Some emails and Instagram messages from like you know a thirty year old hobby jogging mom, mom, and she was like, "Keep doing what you guys do. I love the boards. Yes, there's some stuff on there, but like uh, we don't need to shut this down. Free willing conversation and discussion. So hopefully we can get the moderation time even down a little bit more. But (laughs) keep reporting posts because for now, people, the things still exist. A couple people, not a couple people, report posts, but automatically gone and. We're getting most stuff done in under an hour and a half. I think that's a good start.
0: Yeah, I mean, my main thing is if you're saying it's living hell for women, please provide a concrete example. Like, I I, I just don't agree with that. Like, even the the examples
1: in the article, right, were one from Mary Kane, which was like 10 years ago. Well, she said when she was 12, and she's probably actually older than that, but that's not worth arguing about because I feel really bad about anything said about a high school kid for sure. The high school kids need a whole other level of standard. But the Leo O'Connor comments were, I think, what, five or six years ago? So uh, not that there's – you can't find an example of something offensive that somebody said in the last probably two days on Let's Run, but hopefully it gets removed really quickly. I mean, hundreds of thousands of posts are removed on Let's Run. And
0: not everything gets moderated. I mean, yesterday – this is my – I'm going to say one general thing about moderation. Yesterday I was reading a thread. People are very mean to Kerry Goucher for some reason on there. But someone was talking about – Kara Goucher uh, agrees with me. The vapor flies were illegal in 2016. She probably would have made the Olympic team if they didn't exist. Or she might have made the Olympic team. We'll never know. So there was an article on that. And in the middle of that article, someone comments on her looks. And I'm like, I I banned the person and sent them a message and said, like, look, you can't – we're not going to ban threads on looks. If we're having a thread about is someone marketable and you want to talk about their looks in that context, if it's relevant to the thread, then go ahead and do it. But if you're just in some random thread and says, "Oh, they're not good looking, or they're ugly," that doesn't have anything to do with it. So that thread will be deleted, and it's, but it's no different than a different thread. If you want to start a thread and say, "Rojo's moderation policy suck," that's fine. Start the thread, or Rojo sucks. Fine, start that thread, and you can have that thread. But if you're in some random thread and I'm talking about something else, if I'm talking about the Houston half, and you say, "Rojo sucks," Rojo's moderation threads, that thread should be deleted as well because it's off topic.
2: So the main well, the, that post in the thread. You mean yes, that post, exactly. yeah. Anyways, yeah. all right. moving on. on. Let's move on. There was another race over the weekend in the United States. It was a U.S. championship, actually. And I know Robert's dug into some details about it, but Weldon, I suspect, has not. And it was the USA cross-country championships. Weldon, I have a few questions, and they're not meant to embarrass you. They're more just meant to show how irrelevant this meet was this year. Do you know, can you tell me where this meet took place? Florida. Uh, you're about three thousand miles off. It was San Diego, actually. Uh, can you tell me Water, e- close. either of the men's or women's champions?
1: No, I saw these. This would be. This looks bad for me because I should have been, you know, studying this. I think Anthony Rotich did he win the men's? Yes,
2: congratulations, well done, Roberts got...
1: boy. All right. Oh gosh, the women's I saw. I think I saw something last night. I went to bed really late because I was editing the podcast with Josh Methner, which will be coming up. We're trying something different. We're gonna have fifteen minute highlights with him, and then a Hour-long podcast on a separate podcast. then
2: stop trying to change the subject. She went to school in your home state. Um, She now runs for Hanson Brooks.
0: The sexism of Weldon Johnson is being exposed, John. Doo, doo, doo.
2: Second at the 2012 Olympic trials. What? Second at the 2012 Olympic trials in the 10K. Natasha Rogers? There we go. Wow. I didn't realize she was on
1: Hanson Brooks now. When did that happen?
2: Uh, I think last year.
1: Because I think, so that is who I saw. Because, you know, she's a name. She's a pretty good runner. And I think she's going to skip something and run the Jacksonville 15K instead. I mean, there'll be great prize money there. That's a week after the trials. So I guess the team for the Can Am XC Cup, which is an advertiser in Let's Run, the US team, may not be that strong. But advertising plug everybody else who wants to go run a tremendous race. On March 1st in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. This is pretty cool. It's an open master's race anyone can enter. And for every five-year age group, it's USA versus Canada. So if you're the 25th, there are 25 men or women from Canada and 25 from the United States, you're on the U.S. team for your age group and you count in the scoring. And Victoria in British Columbia is beautiful. And on the other side of the country, for people who want to see the Olympic marathon trials, you can watch the trials on Saturday, and the next day run the Publix Atlanta 5K half marathon and marathon. I mean, what a great weekend. There's nothing better than Olympic marathon trials. So we got you covered. Both sides of the country. Great races. February 29th and March 1st, that same weekend. So,
2: All right. One other trivia question. This is for both of you guys. Can you please tell me, over the last four years, how many of the top three finishes in the USA men's race, USA cross country, were Born outside of the country of Kenya.
1: Repeat the question, sir.
2: Top three finishes lost four editions of USA Cross on the men's side. How many were born outside of Kenya? And who was it?
0: How many of tw- how many of twelve means the way John phrased that question? I was going to say one, and I don't know who it is
2: though. Well, any guesses?
1: Last four years, top three. I have no idea. I, d- I didn't know it was that dominant anyway. What about like? um... Yeah, who knows? 11
2: of 12. Robert was correct. It's one man born outside of Kenya at the USA Cross Country Championships. It was Galen Rupp, 2018 USA Cross Country in Florida. He finished second to Leonard Korea, And Evan Jager was fourth in that race. I kind of forgot about this. So I was like, wait, Evan Jager and Galen Rupp ran a cross country race, but they did do this back in 2018.
0: Why? Not only that, they did it in an off year. So, yeah, I mean, the reason why... Is I love USA cross-country. I feel like cross-country should be... Remember when they had it at Boulder about 10 years ago? How great that was. Thousands of fans. When they they either need to have you World Cross. But when it's a World Cross year, it's still a big deal. But they, they've got to get the schedule better, I think.
2: No, but he, Robert, here's the problem. During an Olympic marathon trials year, I guess not everyone who runs USA Cross is a marathoner, but I think it's a real problem. Like... How how are they going to make this meet matter in 2020 when there's no world championship team to qualify? They're not
0: going to make it matter. I would even cancel it, maybe in the non-U.S. in the non-world championship years. But anyways, John, we haven't gotten to the real point here, folks. The dominant winners, the dominant winners. By the by the way, the U.S. Army Nike WCAP team went one through three on the men's side. But the dominant winner by 22 seconds is Anthony Rotich, three-time NCAA steeplechase champion who became a U.S. citizen earlier last year, 2019. And I, on this podcast, boldly predicted he would make the U.S. Olympic team in a steeplechase, where we already have three of the top 10 steeplers in the world. Jonathan Galt, HRA staff writer, openly mocked me, laughed me, and said it was ridiculous.
2: We have a bet on this. Well, I mocked you for saying that he could medal in the 1500 the World Championships, which was a ridiculous comment.
0: Well, his coach who is Scott Simmons, who is not exactly a joke, said that he thought that he could Matt Dole, and I think the way he phrased it implied in multiple events. This is a guy, I think, who did beat... who did He he won an NCAA mile title, John, beating somebody pretty good, right?
2: He beat Will Gohegan and Johnny Gregorick. Future 349 mile Johnny Gregorick. So
0: there you go. By the transitive property, this guy's like a 345 mile. Anyways, John, are you getting a little bit nervous? Are you setting aside... I, I did see another tip came in. I think it was a, a few dollars. Are you setting aside a little bit of money every week so that you can pay me at the Olympic trials?
2: Am I nervous that he ran a won a ten K cross country race in January when no one good was in the field? I guess Emmanuel Bohr is pretty good. He ran thirteen ten or so last year, but am I nervous? No. Like still I'll get nervous when he starts ripping off like a sub eight ten steeple in the outdoors, which I'm not saying he can't do, but I'm not nervous yet.
1: Another tip came in. Robert, you're discounting what's what's going on here. In case you guys didn't know, Des Linden, Boston Marathon champion, was our podcast guest last week, surprise guest, because over the holidays she gave a $50 tip to Jonathan Galt. There's a tip jar on the podcast. 100% of the tips are going to Jonathan Galt. And Des talked about it. And for people who haven't tried to tip yet, here's how you can do it. You can give a one-off tip or a monthly tip. And Robert, John is now getting some monthlies. There was like a $5 a guy month and $3 a month. You guys wow. do the math. That gets up there if you think about it. So That's great to hear. I, I think I, the $5 a month, that's just like a coffee. Coffee in, in New York City a month. $3 if you're in middle America.
2: And if you're in the giving spirit, guys, why not rate and review the podcast? Just go to the iTunes page. Give it a five-star rating. Leave a comment. Spread the word. Post it to your social media feeds. Tell a friend. Like, if you're enjoying this podcast, there's probably going to be, your friends are probably going to enjoy it too, unless they're like, don't know anything about running. Uh, in which case, just, you know, maybe throw it towards them ahead of the Olympics. Let them know we're going to guide them through the Olympics. So, yeah, spread the word. We love our listeners and we hope that you guys love us too.
0: And we want to, particularly if you're a new high school listener, we may have some new high school listeners this week because of Josh Methner. Don't be afraid to be a running nerd. And if you're a guy, folks, remember, I once had a girl tell me this after college. Why do you guys try to act like studs? Why don't you just embrace the nerds that you are? Women love nerds. So it's okay. It's okay to be a running fan. Just maybe kind of hide it every once in a while.
2: Women love nerds? What high school did you guys go to? No, this was after
0: college, John. Oh, okay. Women like smart people. Yes. They want successful people. Do Do you think that Elon Musk and these people have attractive wives because he's a nerd? But he's successful.
2: No, I'm saying. Well, I'm saying in high school. No, it's not exactly you know the the bells of the ball on the men's side. I guess that's a not a great comparison. All right, moving on. Let's talk about a little marathon. Uh, we had a few marathon field announcements since our last podcast recording. Biggest news: Kennedy Sekale, Elliot Kipchoge showdown is on in London. London was a little tricky about this. They came out with the elite field, then they held it to the end of the week, and they're like. They didn't have Bekele in the initial announcement. Then they're like, yeah, we got him, everyone. You know, he's coming. So I'm super pumped about this. Robert, it happened the same day that they announced Bekele. Actually, before they announced Bekele, Robert booked my flight and Airbnb for London. So super excited about that. That's going to be a really fun week in the British capital. Uh, And also, I made a bold prediction on this podcast. Elliot Kipchoge would lose a marathon in 2020. I think this boosts the chances having the only other two one man in history. Wait, wait,
1: wait. Can I jump in? Robert booked your Airbnb to London. How come I've never asked if I want to go to London and hang out and watch some soccer? This is insulting. I mean, I might want to go to London and watch Crystal Palace play a couple games.
2: I think you have to talk to Robert about this. There might be room in the Airbnb for you, for you, Weldon, but, I, you know, I, that's, that's above my pay grade. What are the dates of London this year? The race is on April 26th. Oh, I,
1: well, my wife is due a week later, so yeah. Well, that ba that baby's gonna be here before I know it. If the baby is uh, May seems a long way off, but like the sp- spring marathon seem very close, so I better get prepared for fatherhood.
2: All right, well, that's gonna be exciting. And then the Boston Marathon fields came out this morning. This is a uh, Wednesday morning recording. There, there's a few interesting names in there. Men's field, we've got Lawrence Toronto, the defending champ. He was our number one ranked marathoner of 2019. He's going off against Lilisa de DeCisa, who won New York in 2018. He's a two-time Boston champion. Also, Jamal Yimmer, who won the Houston half. He's the Ethiopian national record holder in the marathon at 58.33. He's making his debut. On the women's side, you've got Worknesh Geffa, who is the defending champ. She's also running Dubai this week, so we'll see how she goes there. But she's run 217. You've got Des Linden is coming back from the trials. You've got Edna kip They're not as strong as as London, because London's always, you know, they have the biggest purses so they can, in terms of appearance fees, so they can attract the top fields. But yeah, I think the men's race, at least, is, is kind of interesting. Uh, interesting to see how Yima does his debut. Boston's a tough course to debut on, um, and the Caesar and chirono are two guys who had a lot of success on this co- that course in the past
0: yet again john uh, john i'm starting to believe the sexism is there from me. you i mean he, he's ignoring the women's field there's eight sub 221 women and when i said that right before i even looked at i barely looked at this it came out right before we started this po- recording this podcast john's like well how many have run that have run that recently well quite a few actually of those eight women one two three four five Uh, Five of the eight have run it in 2018 or 2019, and a sixth woman has run 2.21.03 in 2019. So that's some decent women. One of those women also, um, I think one of the sub-2.20, well, Imari Dababa, who's not one of those women, she's a 2.19.52 PR from 2012. She recently was second in the Berlin Marathon. So I think that's a good field. You know, it's hard to really analyze these fields in – without taking a lot of time to really analyze it. But to me, I'm very excited about Toronto, Jamal Ymer. I'd love to see the debuts. Women's field's got enough depth. I mean, we're not going to have that many Americans, obviously, with the trials. So.
2: All right, Robert, I, I'll give you that they've got depth, but how many stars are in that women's field? I mean, okay, De Geffa won last year. I wouldn't call her a star. Edna Kepler a star, but like, Yebrugal Molese, she's the second fastest woman on paper. She ran two nineteen in, Bel- in Dubai in twenty eighteen. Busnesh Deba, she's washed up. Nash Tesfaye, Meskerem Assefa. I mean, it, th- it, there's no like Mary Katani. Actually, we'll give him credit. They signed Mary Katani. She was agreed to run the race, and then she had a back injury, so she's actually sidelined right now. Rose Chalimo, she's a two-time world championship medalist. Uh, she was the world champion twenty seventeen, silver in twenty nineteen. So she's in there. That's kind of interesting. Caroline Kip Karui she's running on the track a lot the last couple years Uh, she's run 65.07 for the half marathon she's running the marathon in Boston so yeah there there are some interesting storylines of the women's race but I just say the really big names you know Chariot, Katani um, Bridget Cosguy they're not going to be running this race alright guys Let's move on quickly. Weekend track preview. Indoor season is starting to heat up. I think we're going to have boots on the ground in the two big U.S. meets this weekend. The Dr. Sander invite, Weldon, is planning on going to that one at the Armory. I will be at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix in Boston. Uh, Let's run through a couple of the matchups we've got on tap. In the Armory, Mary Kane and Caitlin Toohey in the 3K. Robbie Andrews, Isaiah Harris, Eric Sawinski in the 800. Uh, In Boston... There's an interesting 3K. Edward Cesarek is running the 3K. That's his first track race of the year. Ben Blankenship, Chris O'Hare, Isaac York's in that one. Uh, former Oregon Project athletes, Coco, Klosterhalfen and Jessica Hull in the 1500. We've got a 60-meter dash showdown between Asafa Powell and Trayvon Bromell. Do either of those guys have anything left? Uh, the Mile in Boston, Clayton Murphy, Charlie Grice, who's run 330 for the 1500, Nick Willis. Bryce Hopple and Jake Whiteman, who was fifth in the 1500 Worlds, versus solo Odoñez, who was the World Indoor Bronze Medalist in the 800 in 2018. Those three, Hopple, Whiteman, and Odoñez, are in the 1000. And then the last two events, you've got Donovan Brazier against a, you know, a bunch of spares in the 600. And Sydney McLaughlin in the 500. She's not facing much competition at the race either, though she does have... Lisanne DeWitt, who was third in the Diamond League final in the 400 last year. So out of those races I listed, what are you guys excited about?
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about Jenny Simpson? She always runs an exhibition at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Jenny
2: is not racing this week. I just texted her this morning. I asked her why she wasn't doing it. And she said when she got back to running on November 1st, she just said it's it's too soon to me for me to be racing. So she said she'll be in Boston doing some sponsor stuff, but... Not racing. I can understand. You know, She doesn't run a lengthy indoor season anyway, and with the late date of the World Championships last year, I think she just wanted to give herself a little bit more time off. She is scheduled to run Camel City, the Camel City meet uh, in two weeks in North Carolina.
0: And now Emma Coburn?
2: Emma Coburn's running in the two-mile. I didn't mention that field. I didn't find it particularly exciting compared to some of the other races.
1: Okay, the big race here is You guys will probably be shocked by this. It's Trayvon Brumell in a 60-meter dash. This is huge. John, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, but you need to talk to that guy. If this guy can make a comeback and you're one of the first ones to do a story on him, it'll be amazing. We've got all these young sprinters now, but before them, before Noah Lyles, before Christian Coleman, there was Trayvon Brumell. He was better than both of them. I mean, he's a couple years older, but he was the future of U.S. sprinting and at the essentially 2016 olympics he ran hurt on a bad achilles and hasn't been healthy since i mean i, I thought it might have been the end of his career i think he maybe has run one race since then one year one race couple races and i didn't see anything from him last year and i was kind of wondering like what's happened to this guy but the real olympics that guy came hob- after the four by one i think he made the final and got
2: last is that correct in the individual hundred that's correct
1: So I figured that was it. And no, then they stuck him on the 4 by one and he was better than the other guys. He ran the thing, and the U.S., I don't know if they dropped the baton or what, they were disappointed in the mix zone. And I see Trayvon Bromel come hobbling through the mix zone the reverse direction. And all the other guys are much older than him. And he's trying to get with his teammates. It was just the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate teammate thing. And these older guys were kind of ignoring him. He was like a couple stalls away. And they kind of I'm like, this guy can barely walk. And talking to him, he was so like pissed or whatever. And I just was like, this guy is a warrior. But ever since then also, now I see like sprinters when they have an injury, they don't run. Because it may have cost them his career. So if he can get back to the top, it will be an amazing story.
2: I think it's very interesting. I, I was gonna. I, I that matchup stood out him versus Powell because his last indoor race was 2016 when she when he won world indoors in Portland as a 20 year old, and then later that summer he runs 984 at age 20 in the 100 meters. That's incredible, you know. And he medaled in 2016. Sorry, in 2015, also at age 20, he had medaled in the 100 at worlds. And he hasn't raced since that World indoor title. And who was second in that race behind him? Asafa Powell. So I'm going to lay it out to, to you guys. Trayvon Brumel is now 24 years old. Asafa Powell is significantly older. He's 37. Which one of those two do you give a better chance of making the Olympic final in 2020?
0: Brumel, this isn't even close. I mean, he's he's 24 years of age. He's a super talent. He, he's He can get healthy. He's got many good years left of him. I, I know that, like, Johan Blake never got back to where he was, but I don't know. I I knew Weldon was very impressive in 2016. He was a warrior. He, he had that bad Achilles for a while, and I've had Achilles problems. Once you have a bad Achilles, you need to have the surgery. So assuming he has the surgery, I don't understand. I mean, admittedly, a lot of distance runners have come back from the surgery. Maybe it's not the same for sprinting, but it may take a year or two. Hopefully he's had surgery. I don't know if he has or hasn't, but I would definitely think he has you know, a much better chance. John said he hasn't raced. He hasn't raced indoor since 2016. I mean, he did run a 1054 last year, which isn't good in July. Um, so
2: well, let me just point this out. Trayvon Bromel has raced three times since the 2016 Olympics. Asafa Powell raced 12 times last year, including a 1002. And Jamaican sprinting is not what it used to be. So I'm just, I'm not saying, I I just don't think it's a slam dunk. I mean, you're saying, but the injuries, well, he hasn't been healthy for the last three years. So it's kind of hard to say, to just wash that away. I mean, that's a, that's a major concern for Bromel. That said, I think Bromel has a better chance of making the Olympic final.
1: I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. He hasn't missed one year. He's missed pretty much three straight years. He ran 1022 in 2017 in one race. He's trying to make it maybe to USA's. And then he ran 1054 last year. He ran two races. That's it. I mean, this is crazy. If he can make it back, it would be just a great story. And then the U.S. sprint ranks would be – think how good they would be. If he's there, Coleman and Lyles. And as you said, John, Jamaica's sort of tailing off. So if he could round into form and –
0: Anyways, the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix always is a fantastic meet. It's the only U.S. meet that's on the IAAF World – or World Athletics World Indoor Tour. You can watch it on NBC Sports Network this weekend. So – I can't wait for that. I know that some people, hey, hey we've got some high school listeners, probably with Josh Messner, are going to be into the Caitlin Tui mary Kane race. Um, although if you're in high school now, you probably don't remember who Mary Kane was <laughs> back when she was really good. To me, this is clear cut. I mean, I know there's other people in the race. Tui's going to crush Kane. And you're asking sort of weird hypotheticals, John, like which is more likely. To me, which is more likely, Mary Kane winning this race or Mary Kane getting lapped by Caitlin Tui? Oh, my gosh.
2: Okay, probably her getting lapped. There's also Amanda Eccleston and Emily Lepari in this race, so I think winning is unlikely. I don't think either of these things will happen, though. I don't think she'll get lapped, because Caitlin Tui ran, what, 9.02 or so in this race last year, and Mary Kane just ran 9.25. So getting lapped, Mary Kane would have to have a disaster, but I think that's probably more likely than her beating some of these other women who are clearly uh, better runners than her right now.
1: Yeah, Tui ran 9.01 last year, so to her to lap Mary Kane, Mary Kane would have to run worse than she did before. And Tui would have to run, you know, even if she runs really great, like an eight fifty or something, still not going to lap her unless Kane just completely falls apart. But that I, I would agree. That's probably more likely than Kane winning this race for sure.
0: I'm just, uh, I mean, it wasn't a politically correct question or a very nice question, I guess, but I am worried about this race in the sense of Kane. I don't know. She goes out a little bit hard. She tries to run with him. We could have a repeat of that Ireland race. When she got in over her head, she didn't know what to do. Panic starts to come in. You know, she dropped out of that race. If you go out and blow up, you run 920. You know, if 920 is her PR shape right now, you go out too fast, you go out in 855 shape, blow up, you could run 930. And then, you know, Tui running 855 is not going to shock anybody. Although It would be interesting to see if she PRs because while she had a good cross-country season, I'm not convinced that she's – at peak Tui. I I think she's, you know, her speed ratings weren't as good as on a consistent basis as they were in the past. So it will be interesting to see how Tui does in this race. Um, you know, can she show that she's actually getting to to an uh, an even higher level than she, than she's been at in recent years.
1: And the big race at this is the women's 800 Raven Rogers and Aj Wilson. race. I don't think
2: Raven Rogers is running it anymore.
1: Oh, take that back.
2: At least not in the press release. They sent out, on January sixteenth, last week, you would think they would build it up. They just said Wilson versus Krishana Williams and Denee Rivers, who's the NCAA champion. But just it's
0: going to be a great weekend for track and field fans. I mean, there's so many people I, I want to see. You know, Donovan Brazier, Clayton Murphy, Robbie Andrews coming back. Um, you know, can Mary Kane take a step forward? Tui against the stars. Just a lot of great stuff. Steven sprint action. Whatever. Good weekend to be a track and field fan. What are Murphy and Brazier
2: running? Murphy's in the thousand. Brazier's in the six hundred. Murphy against Jake Whiteman in the 1,000, that's going to be good, because Jake Whiteman's a pretty good 800-1,500 guy, so to see them mix up, and this will be Murphy's first race since Worlds, he was lost in that race, that was pretty devastating for him, now he's got a new coach, I think it'll be interesting to see how he does, I think I think he'll be very competitive for the win, because he's obviously great talent, but uh, it was a tough end to his 2019 season. Actually, he doesn't have a coach because Alberto Salazar is banned. Or he didn't. He had to change his coach because Alberto Salazar is banned. Figured I would just check off our Salazar mention. we were in danger of losing that streak. So uh, there you go, everyone. No, earlier didn't we mention Rupp? We mentioned Rupp. I don't think we mentioned Alberto.
1: I felt a strong call to call out Alberto there. I forgot what it was. Oh, I was wondering why did Alberto and Galen run the cross country?
2: And they they wanted May a tune up. They they wanted a tune up race for the Boston Marathon.
1: No, do you think it was a Jerry and Alberto pissing match? Like, somehow they both found secretly that, like, hey, Jaeger's gonna run the cross-country, then Alberto's like, I'm gonna have Rup go destroy him.
2: That was the conspiracy theory at the time, because, remember, Hesse, I think Hesse also entered it, I don't think she ended up running, but... That was the conspiracy theory on the message boards. Alberto gets the call, like, hey, all the Bowerman guys are running this race. And then he's like, Galen, pack your bags. You're going to Tallahassee. (laughs) You have to beat these guys.
1: Okay, good. Thank you, John. I wanted to make this a proper Alberto Salazar segment.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't be proper Alberto segment without venturing into conspiracy territory. So there we go. Okay, anything else before we get to our interview with Josh Methner, guys?
0: I think I should have given a shout out. I'm also excited to see Bryce Hopple this weekend. But I'm looking forward to the Matthew interview.
2: Oh, sorry. Yeah, Clayton Murphy. What what was I saying? Clayton Murphy is not racing the 1,000. He's not racing Jake Whiteman. Bryce Hopple is racing Jake Whiteman. Clayton Murphy is in the mile against Charlie Grice and Nick Willis. I'm sorry about that. That, Those are both going to be good races. But Clayton Murphy, not in the 1,000. He's in the mile. My bad.
1: Wow. A rare mistake by Jonathan Galt. And I apologize, I didn't play up this Josh Messner thing, so you guys haven't heard it yet. We're going to do 15 minutes on this podcast, and then we'll have a link in the show notes to the full hour. But I found it very interesting. I haven't told you guys anything about it. Ask me some questions. What do you want to know?
2: No, tell us what you talked about, Weldon. This is a stupid way of getting information. If you're going to promote this thing, which everyone will listen to in about two minutes anyway, just give some quick highlights of what to listen for. No, no. Do it.
0: Just let us in the interview, and then we can comment afterwards. Okay.
1: We could do it that way, but I'll plug one thing. I found it very interesting. I mean, Josh talks about what's it like to win Footlocker's. He talks about, well, well, NXN is actually in the hour-long interview, but he, you know, his progression, how he first started running, and then I asked him how he started following the, the top end of the sport. And his coach, whose name is Kevin Young, very appropriate track name, same name as the world record holder in the 40-minute hurdles, he takes the team on a trip every summer. And Josh has gone out to Boulder and met Mark Wetmore and run with Colorado guys. He's gone out to Flagstaff and met Ben Rosario and run with the Hoka NAZ Elite guys. And he's gone out to Portland and met the Bowerman Track Club guys and been at the Nike campus.
2: Wow. Well, if every school had the resources to do that, that would be pretty amazing. I know it's not an option for everyone, but that, that's really cool. And congrats to Kevin. Good job promoting the sport. I always think... This is my big message. I don't actually, I haven't said it enough, but like high school coaches, you need to play up the professional element of the sport. You need to let your kids know, like there are people to root for, there are teams to root for. If you get excited about them and tell them like, Hey, did you see this race? Or like, Hey, watch out for this thing over the weekend. That is one way we can sort of create fans is by getting, encouraging your athletes to go to meets, follow the professional side of the sport. Yeah. Maybe go to let's run once every so often, check out our race previews, that sort of thing. You know, I, I do think that's an opportunity, so I'm glad to hear that that's uh, that's happening in Josh's case.
1: Yeah, John, your eyes got so excited when I told you this. you were like, "What?" And I was so, so sort of shocked by that. It just, but his coach sort of, you know, lit lit the fire for these kids. Like they just see that one. You meet a professional runner, and you realize, hey, they're not that different. They may they're still human beings. So, all right, everyone, 15 minutes with Josh Messner next. All right, everyone, we're joined by josh methner the 2019 Foot Locker champion our first guest on the let's Run.com podcast ever born in the 21st century josh welcome to the podcast
3: hey thank you thanks so much for having me on appreciate it
1: yeah well i guess one you're a podcast listener i'm not sure how we discovered that but it's kind of cool well, let's start with Foot Lockers. That's the national yeah. championship you won. <clears throat> it's always had a special place in sort of my heart because, like, when I was in high school, it was the only national championship there was. Uh-huh. But you did NXN the week before, got second to Nico Young. And then Footwalkers, you didn't seem to be worried about anything, worried about being tired from the week before. I mean, pretty much from what I saw about halfway through, you just took off and left everyone in the dust. Uh, was that the strategy coming in? I mean, what? what Were you that confident? I mean, it's a national championship and you were just feeling super great so that, you know, halfway through you could just dust everybody?
3: Well, definitely right after NXT, I was feeling super great. I just remember uh, Monday, like Monday was either a workout or recovery room, depending how I felt and did a recovery and then Tuesday and Wednesday went by and I wasn't feeling as good as I, like, thought I would, as, like, recovered as I thought I would. So the week leading up to Footwalker I didn't feel the great, greatest, but uh, by the time I got to San Diego, I felt pretty good doing the shakeout on the course and then uh, runs with the Midwest team. I started feeling a little bit better. Legs were loose. Uh, Obviously doing less mileage leading up to it. So, yeah, and then going into the race, I definitely was confident. You kind of have to be confident if you want to win so yeah I just I know everyone was saying I think I made my move like what point was it at it was like probably a little before a mile and a half in I don't know it wasn't like an insane move I just kind of pushed the pace a little bit I was telling everyone I just pushed pace a little bit See so you go with me she'll be like the contenders and it didn't feel like I didn't like hear any footsteps behind me so I was like oh that's odd I guess I'll push it a little more and like. I don't know. I was just kind of throwing in surges every now and then, not completely killing myself until about like a thousand to go, and yeah, that's kind of how I look back at the race. Just the last going up the hill and down the hill is, on the second lap was definitely uh pretty grueling, especially uh not used to too many hills here in Illinois, but we definitely do them. Those hills were interesting for me, and uh yeah, it was just overall a good race and very uh humbled that I was able to win. I remember I was watching the replay back, I think uh, the week after the race. And I think it was, it was coming into the home stretch. It was with like, it was after I come down the downhill and cross over the street for the first time. And I see my brother in like this bright pink shirt. And you can see him in his, he's wearing the headband they gave us. And my coach, they like cheer, they're like yelling at me. You can probably hear him in the replay too. And they sprint back towards the finish. You can see them like probably going faster than me <laughs> at that point, trying to sprint to see me finish. And uh, yeah, they're yelling at me the whole way, which is really nice and encouraging. So,
1: is your brother older or younger?
3: Uh, he's actually my twin brother. He's a minute older. He's really? Also, he's also yeah, and I uh, ran so surprised. He's also he didn't. He's ran throughout like middle school, but he wanted to d- do different sports freshman year at least in sophomore year and ended up doing running full-time with me by uh, junior year. so he's starting to love it more and more which is uh, it makes me happy that he's loving it as much as I do kind of now and I think he'll try to walk onto a college team somewhere so yeah how did you first start running I
1: don't know what was your like We all kind of have a story how we first either learned about runners or started running ourselves. I'm kind of curious what your start in the sport was.
3: Yeah. So in elementary school, that's what I saw everyone in elementary school, we had a three minute run to start gym class every day. I guess we stretched and then did a three minute run around what I think was a 400 meter like loop, definitely nothing that resembled a track, but it was a 400 meter loop and it was a three minute run. So, we did that since like second grade, I think it was, or first or second grade. And I don't know, I was usually, I some for some reason enjoyed it and was usually towards the front. I didn't always win, but by I think fourth or fifth grade, I remember I was like one of the only people that run two laps of that in three minutes. So I'm not sure if it was 800 meters or not, but maybe my PR during fourth and fifth grade, was under three minutes for the 800 but I had a lot of fun running in elementary um, school so it kind of just happened naturally I was just really active and or not freshman year sixth grade and middle school joined the cross-country team just because I didn't even know how I like learned about the cross-country team or maybe my parents told me to join or something but doing cross-country in sixth grade I did track two and uh I don't know I saw all these kids who are much faster than me in sixth grade and i don't know i just probably ran too fast in practices than i should have and it all just spiraled very quickly throughout middle school and i just learned to love running and then high school i just got a lot better training coaching learned what it's like to be a part of a team and the culture and all that and yeah it's been a fun journey so far
1: so you went to Her- hersey high school your coach has a cool name, Kevin Young. Same yeah. name as the 400 meter hurdle world record holder. You know what's his influence been on you?
3: Kevin's been a big influence on my life. Just uh, taking it slow with me, uh, teaching me just how I enjoy the process each and every day with running, and definitely he's instilled a lot of confidence into me. Just uh, taking it year by year, just and I like, I just remember that every single like bus ride down to state for cross country and, and track and field, I'd like have my own goals in my mind about like how fast I run, where I could place. And he'd always just tell me just a little bit higher place, a little bit faster time. And somehow he's always just like right on the money with like <laughs> how fat, like how, how I performed that day, which is, which is like why I trust him so much too. I just, seems like he always knows what's right for me all the time. So, yeah.
1: Sounds like you come to let's run or listen to the podcast. Like when did you start following or realize, you know, there's such thing as like the Olympics or professional running sort of, what are your first memories of sort of following the the sport of running?
3: Um, I remember watching the 2016 Olympics just over the summer in Rio, not knowing like, how fast that people are actually running. I was just, like, watching the races to watch the races and watching other sports, too. Like, I remember I really wa- like watching, like, gymnastics and, like, other sports. Uh, I mean, gymnastics and track and field out now. I just like watching those. But, like, I had no idea how fast a, like, 13 flat 5,000-meter was freshman year when I was watching that. <laughs> and, like, I think the last year, junior year of high school for me, I kind of just got into, like, following running and, like, learning about all these people who are doing some cool things and, like, got into, like, following a few, like, just, like, track clubs around. And, obviously, I knew of, like, Evan Jaeger and Chris Derrick because their names are brought up all the time. So, big fan of, like, the Bowerman Track Club. And over the summer, I went to Des Moines for the track and field championships. Uh, the U.S. track and field championships and I got to meet some of the 10-man guys which is really cool they instilled some wisdom onto me and uh, one of the things that's also really cool that's kind of furthered my curiosity for running is uh, my coach he takes us on a trip every year over the summer and our first year we went to Boulder, Colorado we got to meet Mark Wetmore and uh, ran with the Few guys there, so that was really cool. And then the next year we went to Oregon. We got to meet the some of the Bowerman Track Club people. We met uh, Colleen Quigley, Lopez Lamong and Chris Derrick, and they talked to us and were super nice. And I remember there, Lopez and Chris were doing a workout that day, and us we were all like in awe watching both of them just like run laps around the that track in the forest. It was so cool. And then this past summer, we went to Flagstaff and met Ben Rosario and Scott Fobble and Ian Carter, Aaron Elizabeth, and who else was it? I think it was just those three. But yeah, we met them and just meeting all these people has been really cool to see their stories and all that, which makes me just want to like learn more about like other people's stories and all that. And started Kind of came across just podcasts in general this past summer, just listening to them, and then started listening to like some running podcasts, and yeah, that's how it's all come into my life.
1: That's pretty cool, the trips that your coach takes you on. I guess one thing I didn't ask you about your training is I mean, we don't need to get too much into detail about it, but you know, like how much, you know, what's the most you've run per week, or how would you sort of, if you were going to give a quick sort of two minute overview of your training, how much would you say you've? trained throughout high school as it gradually progressed was there always sort of like a four year plan or sort of each year your coach just kind of it sounds like with each you know each race he sort of challenges you hey you can do a little bit better than you thought but uh-huh. you know w- was he talking as a sophomore you're gonna be running this as a junior or is it sort of just year by year i'm just kind of curious
3: we didn't really set out like a set plan for the next four years but uh i mean we've been doing the same workout since freshman year basically and I guess each year we basically just got, we've progressed to just faster splits, fast, and like, in some cases, longer, or not longer, uh, more like repetitions of certain intervals or something like that. But my coach loves aerobic training. We love our, I mean, I love the tempos more than kind of the interval stuff. But yeah, we do a lot of tempos and uh, Ks and kind of like long, long reps with uh, short rest, and yeah, it's worked out well for me and a lot of the guys on the team, and definitely trust in uh, my coach's uh, way of thinking when he goes about training and all that. What are the goals this year outdoors? Um, Just run some fast times, honestly. I haven't thought about it too much, but I mean, for Illinois, I think i mean i definitely want to go under nine i kind of choked on that last year there's a couple of meets where i could have run sub nine and i didn't and the state meets usually really hot so it's like depending what your like uh objective is that day running sub nine is good or bad but yeah i want to go sub nine i feel like i'm capable of I mean, I could probably go to Arcadia and just hang on for like 940 like Cole and Nico did. I could run a fast time there if I wanted to, but I don't know how fast a solo effort I could get. And then I kind of want to run like a fast 400 or 800 this year. Like take my PR in the 400 from sophomore year. I ran like a 57 and in the 800. Yeah. (laughs) And I think uh, the 800, my PR is in like a format I ran like a 158 or something in it so I'm I'm hoping to get a lot more speed on my legs this year and hopefully yeah I guess I get some more speed run some fast shorter distances
1: oh you're going to crush 57 I mean I think I ran a 206 in high school I think I ran a 53 and I was slow so <laughs> 50 you're going to run a 50, 840 I'm, I'm predicting your times right here
3: okay.
1: and then, I don't know 406 how about we end with like a few quick questions? All right, who's your favorite pro runner?
3: I'm tied between like Evan Jager and Lopez Lamont and Chris Derek, just because Illinois boys. And but I also like some of the Naz guys and like I don't know, It's tough.
1: <laughs> it's unfair for you, right? Because you've met all these guys. Everyone else, it's like yeah, an to that question. So, all right, that's fair enough. Anyone you've met, I agree. What's the number one piece of advice you give a high school runner?
3: Definitely have fun with it. Don't overthink that you're doing something wrong, or like I remember I saw, I saw this piece of advice from someone It was like, "Eat whatever you want and do strides to help with your form and you'll be good. but uh, my best piece of advice, just have fun with it and enjoy the process and yeah
1: well, thank you for your time, Josh. I really appreciate it.
3: yeah, this is really fun.
1: And good luck the outdoor season. You're like, oh, I think I can break nine. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to crush nine. But even if yeah. you don't, you're the high school national champion. No one can take that away from you. So it's just really cool. And like Foot Locker for me personally, it's always, it's just got so much history. Yeah,
3: special. yeah,
1: All right. I'm making the executive decision. We're not discussing the Josh Methner interview now. We can do that next week. But if you want to listen to the full one hour, Josh Methner interview, it's in the show notes. And once again, Rate and review us.